So this is Jim O'Donnell, and I'm with the Taos Land Trust, and I'm here with Judy Torres from the Taos Valley Asaki Association, and we are going to jump into our discussion here about um, some land and water issues here in the valley. So Judy, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. All right. Yeah, thank you very much. So you're with the Taos Valley Asaki Association? Yes, What's the Taos Valley Osaki Association? Uh, the Taos Valley Osaki Association is a regional, it's one of the largest regional Osaki associations in the state of New Mexico. It's one of the oldest ones. We were established in 1989, and we cover six streams in the Taos Valley and 54 Osekias. And how is how's the Taos Valley Osaki Association different from the New Mexico Osaki Association? Uh, the New Mexico Osaki Association uh, covers the whole state of New Mexico, and we cover just the Taos Valley. And do you guys work together? And Yes, we collaborate with a lot of projects together. Okay. And are there there's other Osaki Associations around that? Uh, there's other regional Osaki Associations. There's not that many, and we're the oldest, and we're the model for all of the Osaki, uh, regional Osaki all Associations. Right. Taos is the model. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, so what kind of work does the Osaki Association do? We were established to uh, help with the adjudication when it began in 1989, but since then uh, we try to educate and inform and help people keep their water rights, water banking, water transfers. When you, you said adjudication, what does that mean? Uh, in 1989, the state of New Mexico put us into an adjudication and uh, the Taos Pueblo uh, claimed the water rights, uh, so we began a process and we've had meetings since 1989, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure our since, president has attended thousands and thousands of meetings. That's right. Since literally the year I graduated high school. <laughs> that's, that's kind of crazy to think. So, um, but let's go back and unpack that. What, what does adjudication mean? What is that process? The state of New Mexico comes in and they verify all the water rights within a watershed or a, a valley. So they, they basically take a look at who owns what water and how it's appropriated. And it's a, if it's a, val a valid water right. Okay, because there's many more, there's more cl water claims, as I understand it, than there is water mm -hmm. available. Yes. Right. That's our constant <laughs> struggle here. Okay, so in that, how does that adjudication process work? Uh, well, they began it in 1989. The state of New Mexico uh, did the hydrographic maps. They uh, Then there was a series where you could go in and you could... Uh, uh, look at the errors and omissions, and then uh, if there was any errors, like there was water rights on this property or not. So it's a long process. It is, yeah, it's a long process. Well, we have time to unpack that a little bit and talk about that process. So is it still ongoing or has it been settled? Uh, we reached a settlement agreement in uh, 2012. Okay, and that is, what's that called, that That's agreement? It depends on who you ask. Okay, we call ahead. it the Taos Valley Settlement Agreement. Some people call it the Taos Pueblo Settlement Agreement. Okay. All right. And how is that, you know, there's been like the Audemont case and, and all these cases over the years of, of water rights. What's, um, how is this one different? Is it just that it's focused on Taos Valley? Yeah, it's focused just on Taos Valley. Okay. And, and uh, we did, everybody did an agreement. So there's five parties within that, which is the Taos Pueblo, the Taos Valley Seca Association, the town of Taos, El Prado and the state of New Mexico. Okay, and so, and so, what does that agreement mean? What what's the what is the basic structure of that of that agreement? Uh, the basic structure of the agreement is uh, 
There's a lot. <laughs> if you ever read the settlement agreement, how many pages is it? hundred pages <laughs> <laughs> of complex legal of, language. Yes, of complex uh, that no regular person can understand. Right. You could read it five times, and he still would not get. You got to be a water lawyer. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Well, let's. Can you give it just some uh, general outlines? Uh, Secas were guaranteed their water rights within the valley. The Taos Pueblo uh, will not claim those water rights. Okay. So, and uh, some of the mutual domestic, well, the town of Taos and the El Prado will be moving their wells further out so they're not um, sucking out the water from the, the buffalo pasture. And okay. So they'll be moving wells. The, the mutual domestics had to get additional water rights, and then the Taos Valley Asequias will be getting mitigation wells. Okay, and what's an example of a mutual domestic? How's that different? How how, the, how is that water system different than, say, the town of Taos? They're in the outskirts, like uh, Llano Quemado has a mutual domestic, okay. Canyon has a mutual domestic, so it's anywhere where El Prado or the town of Taos does not reach. Okay, so they pump their own water. They have their own wells. They have their own wells, and they have their own storage yes. and distribution system. Yes. Okay, all right. And do they tie into the town of Taos at all? I don't believe they do. Okay. There might be, like, a couple of areas where they might, but... I don't believe they do. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, um, you know, you, we were talking just uh, before we got on air a little bit about about some of the um, some of the settlement. And we don't have to get into this too deeply, I know, because <laughs> um, that's what we were also talking about is, is that how complex the settlement is. But um, there's been a, there's a lot of rumor and misinformation out there about this settlement. And um, I uh, read something that uh, someone had written earlier this week that seemed to me to be quite full of some misunderstandings and misinformation. And that was one of the things I really wanted to talk about was uh, urging people to be really cautious with what they hear when it comes to this water settlement. So can you speak to some of that? Um, I think a lot of people read something and they um, claim to be experts. And I would really like to leave all the technical stuff to the experts because uh -huh. they are the ones that know. Uh, the settlement isn't something new. This has been going on since 1989. Right. Uh, people, they had a chance to go to public meetings. There was three public meetings that were held for people to protest or to protest the settlement. The first meeting, there was probably over 100 people. At the end of the whole pr process, there was only one person that was left that the courts listen to because they had to hire an attorney in order to to protest the the settlement so what 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 was that one person's point or what was at the end it ended up being that they said it'll be in the inner safe phase of the settlement so okay all right it was just a an aseca issue rather than a than a than, whole, yeah, than whole. having to do with the whole thing and my understanding is is that part of the settlement part of the benefits of the settlement is that it it limits us from transferring water outside of the valley is that right like if if someone lost their water rights through non-use or something like that or or sought to sell them the the first option would go to the, either the pueblo or would keep otherwise keep the water either in that acequia or in the valley how do it is that correct a little Semi-correct. Okay, yeah. Um, the commissioners are allowed to protest any transfers out of their acequia. That's o the state outside law. Outside of their acequia, okay. Yeah, that's the state law. But th they can't protest um, for the Taos Pueblo. 
Okay. All right. So, so there's an opportunity then to just keep that water within, within the valley, within the valley. That's, that's really good. Yeah. seems like a positive. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Taos Valley Safety Association is part of this Rio Fernando collaborative that yes. we've been also part of. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Uh, the Rio Fernando Collaborative is uh, of elected officials, um, nonprofit organizations, other entities, and we do. Uh, we've been looking at the the Rio Fernando from the top of the watershed all the way down to the confluence at the end. And our whole mission is to make the watershed a better place. We there's water sampling going on. There's uh, forest thinning going on. Uh, we're looking at the uh, jewels up in the up in the Rio Fernando. There's lots of trails that are being. A lot of them are unsafe. So we're trying to make them safe for people to connect to the land and to the water. And one of the big things is that we're helping the acequias with the infrastructure. And we're also helping them to get revitalized and to strengthen our our culture and our traditions. What What are some of the um, infrastructure needs that the acequias have? Uh, we just finished a project um, up at the head of all the acequias, and we did a we redid the headgate so that the, the one coming down out of like above Canyon. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was the main headgate that diverts the water to all of the acequias down below and it wasn't flowing correctly so uh, with the help of Tau Soil Water Conservation we went over there they redid the the whole headgate and we'll see in the spring how well it runs if we get water I hope if we get water we hope it was nice to get rain on Tuesday but oh, yeah. uh, oof. <laughs> it's not enough yeah how many acequias come off of the Rio Fernando uh, there are six acequias within the Taos Valley Acequia Association, but there are a few that are um, private ditches, okay. which are owned only by certain landowners, and I believe there's three of those. Up so that makes nine total, or, or nine? Yeah. Okay. But but those three are just private, so they're they're on their own. Okay. They're so they have to take care of all their own uh, maintenance, maintenance and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And so then the six, but and do all six of those come off of the Rio Fernando? Yes. They do. Mm -hmm. And so... And above the headgate, there are, I think we counted 50, about 50 small acequias that drain into the Rio Fernando. Like, from above the headgate. Yes. So above the, the height, where the hiking trail that goes to, uh, what is it, South Boundary and then to Visadero Peak... You mean well, above that? Yeah, point? all the way up uh, Valle Escondido. Uh huh. All the way up uh, from the mouth of the canyon, all the way up to Valle Escondido. There's small acequias that uh, drain into those that are recognized. Oh wow! So they take out the water above. They do not take out the water. They contribute water. It's water that's coming off of the watershed. Okay, and so so the water comes off the watershed into those acequias, and then it drains into drains the out Fernando. from the Desagua into the, the Rio Fernando. Fernando. Okay. I did 50. I'm kind of surprised. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. And, and then, and then, so what do you guys do to help the, the acequias in the Valley? You're talking about the, um, the infrastructure mm -hmm. and what, what else? Uh, well, in 2016, we developed a leadership and education committee. We realized that there's a lot more that we could help the SECAs with besides the settlement agreement. So we got a, 
a group together, a committee together, and we are working on issues that uh, Asequias have. Such as what? Uh, well, we had a series of visitas in each stream. We invited all the Asequias in each stream to come to a visita, and we wanted to see what their issues were. And what's a visita? Uh, our visitas were just meetings, okay. but we didn't want to call it a meeting because people don't come to meetings. Yeah, so who wants to go we to thought, a meeting? <laughs> we thought if we call it something else, a visita, and we went out into the community rather than having the community come to us, we went out into the communities and we, we worked with the, with the commissioners. Okay. And to find out what they needed? What they needed. A lot of uh, what came out of it was uh, people have uh, delinquencies on their, on their uh, um, parciantes, inactive parciantes. So meaning, meaning what? They don't pay their dues. Uh-huh. They don't, um, they're inactive parciantes, so they would not. They're, so they they're not irri- getting any water. They don't irrigate. They don't pay, you know. Right. And so this, on this program, we've heard this a lot from, from a bunch of the people that I've interviewed, is that the, the biggest issue facing the acequias is, is non-use. Yes. Yeah. Well, and uh, that's what we found at the Visitas was the number one uh, problem people are having. But a lot of the commissioners are, did not know who their parciantes were. So how can they bill somebody? Or So we wanted to see if we can start working with uh, title companies, real estate agents to start helping us um, know when somebody's selling a piece of property. And uh, we reached out, and I have a meeting with uh, two of the title companies here in Taos to, to okay. start that process. So you can track who the who owns that land, who owns that water right, and then if it gets sold. When or, it gets sold. Right. And then, and then is there any possibility of buying that land or buying those rights, or how, do, how, how does that work? Well, everybody doesn't understand that um, your property is worth so much more when it has water rights on it. Right. So our main goal is not to sever the water rights from the land, keep them together. Okay, so you want to find a buyer who will use the rights. Yes. And why, why is it that you want these farmers to be using this water, or the landowners to be using the water? Why? Because well, doesn't it make more sense to, like, the farmer down the stream who... Uh, maybe is farming, he gets, he would get more water. But why do you want somebody else to be using it? No, we want uh, people <laughs> to use the acequias. We, with the Rio Fernando, we actually did a um, a speaker series this summer too. Right. And in one of them, um, we had uh, Steve Golden from the Alcalde Center come in, and he showed everybody how ir- flood irrigation helps the aquifer. So, you know, those lands that were, the wells going dry, those lands, when they're flood irrigated, it brings the water table up. Right. So your wells are... Are very dependent on our irrigation. Right. And and didn't he also say something about how when the land is flood irrigated, the water table's higher, and so that e- even more than the wells, it can help your neighbor, so to speak. Because yes. you're you just generally the water table's higher. Yes. Right. Yep. And that... That talk is available on the Taos Land Trust website, um, www.taoslandtrust.org. We have we put up that talk uh, there for people to to come and check out, and it's also on our YouTube channel. But just go to the website and and check that out because it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting. Which goes to the prairie dogs makes me think of prairie <laughs> dogs. You know, there's you see these old fields all around. You know, we have tons and tons of prairie dogs. How, how does that flood irrigation uh, help the prairie dog issue? Oh, invasive. That's the other speaker 
series that we did was invasive. I mean, invasive species, weeds and animals. You know, uh, prairie dogs just make a mess out of the fields. It's a like a Swiss cheese. Right. People try to irrigate and the water just goes everywhere, pops up in a whole other area than they were trying to irrigate. Um, they make messes out of the acequias if if the commission is not on top of it and, you know, ch- checking the acequia. Some, they put the water down the acequia and all of a sudden it's coming up in somebody's in backyard. Places. Right. Um, and it wouldn't, doesn't it make sense? That, wouldn't, if, if you're irrigating the land, the prairie dogs will eventually move out, right? If you're constantly, but uh-huh. the first, the first item is getting rid of them before you start oh. irrigating. Oh, is it? Yeah. Not just getting the land wet and making them uncomfortable so they want to move? Yeah, they'll come back. They're, they're persistent. Oh, yeah. And they'll just go to the field next door. So if you get rid of them in your field, if your neighbor doesn't do it, they'll move next door. Right, right. We started off by talking about the water adjudication process um, that began in 1989. And the adjudication process is when the Office of the State Engineer comes to a certain area and analyzes who claims what water and what... Uh, which of those claims are valid and who actually owns what water. And I wanted to ask Judy why, why that process even had to take place. Well, the state engineer does it for, I believe, they're still doing it today, um, going to all the different uh, valleys and uh, adjudicating the water just to, make, to see how much water rights are out there. Uh, this whole settlement agreement uh, came out of the adjudication. That, that was the whole reason the settlement came up was there was there a big fight going on in the 80s and seven and before and that led to this adjudication or was it a a normal process that the state engineer does it was a normal process that the state engineer was doing okay all right it's my understanding that states like colorado and utah arizona have uh, have the jump on us when it comes to adjudication I believe they've already done all of theirs. The state of New Mexico is still today bringing up adjudications. So this we're, is, we're this way has been behind. going on before we were born. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Not that we're like really old or anything, but just, just saying it's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so it, you guys are going to run some meetings. The Taos Valley Safety Association is going to run some meetings to inform people about to get people better informed about this settlement, right? Uh, yes. We discovered that it's a big issue and there's a lot of misinformation going out around out there. So uh, we formed a working group and we have a member from each of the streams. And this fall, winter, we will be doing a series of meetings for each of the mutual benefit projects so that people can get informed, they can ask questions. And we are, the working group is really wanting people to ask them the questions instead of going straight to the attorneys uh, with the same question and taking up a lot of their time. It'd be better if they informed either their commissioners and their commissioners let the board members know and then the board members will, will get it into the working group and we will discuss some of these issues that are going on. Okay. And what are, what are one or two of the largest misconceptions about the settlement in your opinion? That I get to put you on the spot here. I don't. One of the biggest ones is the people believe that these mitigation wells will be running twenty four seven, and they are going to suck the whole life out of the whole valley. 
these mitigation wells are only put into place if there's depletion in the in the valley. If people conserved water, then the mitigation wells would never need to be used. So, so yeah. So why do we need the mitigation wells? That was one of the benefits of the acequias. And that's one of the main... Expand on that. Tell, t- tell us why. If there's depletion in the, in the valley, then the mitigation wells would be there to make up the water that is depleted. And what you were saying earlier about when people used to flood irrigate more through the acequias, the, well, the water table was higher, the wells were more productive. And, and, and so part of the need for the mitigation wells... Does it come from the lack of use in the acequia system? Is uh, that is that con- a contributing factor? No, I don't believe so. Okay, so all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so, but part of the reason that we need these mitigation wells is because we we are pumping this aquifer in other areas, and we don't know how much we're pumping. Yes. Right. So, if they if there was more metering. In, in the mutual domestics and the any of the domestic wells, then you know we would know what is what, and they will be metered because that's how we're going to know how much water is being used, and that will be determined. Is the is metering required in the settlement, or is that a state law, or how how does that work? I am not sure if it, if it's part of the settlement agreement or not. Okay, and why aren't we metering the wells around? I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people don't want to get metered. They're, they're using yeah, more than, than the, what they're supposed to be using. Right. And so if nobody knows, then nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do the mutual domestics meter? I believe so. For um, billing purposes, they, they, I'm sure they have to they know have how, to. Much, how much people are using in order to, to charge them. Okay. But I don't know if all of them are. Right. So one of the biggest misconceptions about the water settlement um, is that, you're saying is that the, the mitigation wells will only come on when the main wells are not producing as much? No. They will only go come on when the domestic wells are using more than what they are allowed in a time of depletion when they're using more than what's so, so So these, these mitigation wells, we wouldn't actually need them if people would just... Con- conserve. Con- conserve and control their water use and yes. operate within the boundaries. Okay. Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what's another big misconception? Because that's, that's a huge one that you just yeah, brought up. There, that's there, that's big. Yeah. And uh, people believe that there's the water we're going to bring up from down below is contaminated. I don't believe that the state of New Mexico or the EID department, it has to get tested. It, uh-huh. it, where they're not going to let us just pump toxic water and put it into our streams. Right. And what are what are some of the... The talk about the contaminants. Arsenic. Uh, there's so I, I many. I heard out somebody there. say uranium. Yeah, there's so many out there, you know. And I know that you know they've done some studies in uh, ranchos, and that was one of the issues that we brought up to our state uh, to our hydrologist to look at, and he did review the, and the experts did review the, the report that they did. Okay, and where are the where are the, these wells going to be located? They're all over the valley. How many? There are four mitigation wells. Okay, all right. And then the uh, ASR project. Okay. Or the uh, one in Arroyo Seco. Okay. So, and so you guys are going to hold these meetings to, to get help get people informed, and hopefully maybe we could record those and, uh, and have make them available either on the Rio Fernando Collaborative 
website, um, which doesn't exist right now, but I, it, it will eventually, or the Tales Land Trust website. No, our website does exist. The Real Fernando Collaborative yes, website stuff? Oh, good to hear. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's good. That's good. And what is it? Oh, gosh, I don't remember right now. RealFernando.org, I believe. Uh, okay, all right. That's good. Um, what are some of the other things that the collaborative's working on? Oh, we've been working. Uh, this summer was really great. We were working on those uh, speaker series. We just finished one on Asequias, the culture and uh, legalities. Okay. And so, uh, Dr. Silvia Rodriguez spoke on that one, and everybody was just in awe of you know the culture and the traditions of the Asequias and how they came to be. How did they come to be? Uh, they came from the Moors. And then they came to Spain. Our oldest acequia here in the valley is Acequia de los Lovatos, and that was established in 1715. And they're probably older than that, but there was just no records stating. So this is a system that, as we talked with uh, Olivia Romo from the New Mexico Valley Acequia Association, New Mexico Acequia Association, a couple of weeks ago, this system originated in North Africa. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, through Spain, and then when they came from Spain, brought it with them, and well, here we are today. Right. I've got a friend in, in Valencia, Spain, who's uh, um, basically a, a mayordomo on a, um, on a ditch system there that has been running for almost a thousand years. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It, they're so amazing the way they do. One of our experts uh, went to go study the... Uh, Secas in Spain, and he brought back a video showing us how they do their ceremonies, and they have their uh, elders that tell everybody, and it's a big ceremony. It's just amazing. Like in spring? Yes. Okay. And do we do anything like that here? Is that tradition kind of died out here? Yeah, it's died down here. Uh, we do our spring cleaning, but um, now that the drought has been in, a lot of the Secas are going to false cleaning. They clean their acequias in the fall. Okay. So that way, if there's an early spring, they can run water as early as possible. Oh, okay. So, and that was actually a question I was going to ask a little, little further down the road, but we'll just dive into it now. My question basically was going to be is how are the acequias systems um, adjusting to or looking to adjust to climate change and drought? And so that's that's one way. Yeah, they uh, a lot. And more and more of them are doing it in the fall. And it's that way when the spring comes, if it's in February rather than in April. Which it has been the past couple mm -hmm. of years. They can run their water right away. Okay. A lot of them are doing a lot of water sharing. Uh, this, uh, this year, the Rio Hondo went into a water sharing system. And how does that work? The Rio Hondo, there's three valleys. It's the Valdez Valley, uh, Des Montes, and then Arroyo Hondo that, and Canoncito. There's four. Okay. They share the Rio Hondo. So they went into a water sharing to where each of the areas got water so that... At different times? Like at did, different times. Does that mean that one section gave up their water for... For X amount of time. Okay. Yeah. And then another canyon got it, and yeah. then when their time was over... Yeah. And they had meetings all summer long, you know, seeing who gets the water, and then they have meters out out in uh, Rio Hondo. That was something that was done by the uh, Alcalde Center. Okay. So they would go together and they would go check the meters to see how much water was coming down. That way they were, I guess, informed of what 
what amount of water they they could use and and how they could share it. Yeah. Oh, so they seem like, like they're really on top. Yeah, of they it. did this many many years ago, but they hadn't had to put it into place until this year. Right. Oh, so this was the big test. Yeah. And how did it work? I think there was difficulties, but I think altogether it, it worked out very well. Right. It's it's all there's always difficulties when you're trying to work with other areas, but yeah. What's what's the saying in the in the West? Um, water's for fighting and whiskey's for drinking. Yeah. But we have to be united in order to, you know, everybody has to get their fair share of water. Right, right. We have to think about people down below and make sure everybody getting, is getting water. Right. So so really some of some farmers along the Asakias, if they start getting their water in February, early March, does that mean they'll start planting earlier is, and adjust to that change? or Yeah, but it's hard to find something that's going to be hardy enough and not freeze because, right. as you know, it's still cold. Yeah. I mean, the water might be coming down and it might be plentiful, but if your crop can't take the cold. Right. Yeah. So. yeah. And is there is there anybody who's, um, that's, that's a great point because that's a big conundrum. Is there anybody who's experimenting with? I don't know of anybody. Uh, Miguel Santisteban is always doing He's always experimenting. Yeah, so yeah. he might be doing which is hardy, which are which are good. Okay. And then, I mean, even at the Talsoy Water Conservation, if you want to get seeds for planting fields, I mean, they, they would be the best people to ask what what is hardy enough to to grow here. Right. Um, two weeks ago, we had uh, Julian Joyce from Rio Chiquito Consulting on here, and she's been helping the Taos Land Trust at Rio Fernando Park to develop the agricultural plan. And one of the the things with um, the Vigili Romo Asequia is that there may never, ever, may never be water in there. That's a possibility. We'll see. But, and so she's thinking in terms of what can you, for our, for the demonstration plots that'll be at Rio Fernando Park eventually, what kind of experimental things that we can do that might be for season shifting or or farming with really low water. Yeah, there, there's uh, so many things that people are... And with the Rio Fernando Collaborative, one of our pilot projects is we want to do a stream commission to where we have a, a representative from each of the acequias. And that way we kind of do like a water sharing or, you know, sharing ideas of what, what they're doing up here, what they're doing down there. And each stream, because each stream has their own set of issues. So we're going to start with the real Fernando and see how we can work with them to get a stream commission together where they're working together to share the water, to, you know, get ideas. Um, if Vigili Romo is saying, you know, we really, really need some water down here, maybe the upper Asequias can let some water go down to where they're able to get some water. So, so the collaborative is really going to work on improving that communication. Yes. Yeah. And with what other streams? So if there's the Rio Fernando, what other streams well, would be part we of have, this? We have the Rio Hondo, the Rio Lucero, the Rio Fernando, the Rio Pueblo, the Rio Grande del Rancho, and the Rio Chiquito. The Rio Chiquito only has two acequias, and they already work together very well. So. Okay. All right. And so you guys at the Exequia Association, you're, you're, part of your big thing is facilitating these... These meetings. These meetings. And... It, are there um, acequias that have been defunct for years that are coming back to you guys looking for help to to get to get going again? Does that happen? 
there's some Masekas um, that need some help, and uh, we're actually working right now with uh, New Mexico Aseca Association and the Taos Soil and Water Conservation District, and we have an Aseca Rising project, and we have identified five Asekas that uh, needed help um, with infrastructure projects, and we're going through their bylaws with their financial compliances, and we're checking to see if they're all up to date so they're able to f- apply for um, for funding for some infrastructure projects. So we've identified there um, one Aseca that needed help with the uh, establishing their commission again, bylaws, and the, and the other one was uh, Vihili Romo. And we also, we've already done their bylaws and uh, we've done their commission. So they're, they've already applied for funding. So they're on, they're already on the stream to get, get going on it. So to speak, the stream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the money stream I to just get the hope, stream yeah, uh, yeah, I just hope they have water to put into it. Like, right, yeah. right. And for anybody who doesn't know, um, in 2015, uh, the Taos Land Trust bought the old Romo farm that's located literally right next door to Fred Baca Park, just off of La Posta. And it's a 20-acre parcel. And so we refer to that as Fred, uh, sorry, as um, Rio Fernando Park. And we've been we've spent the last year doing a community based master planning process. And part of that, that land came with water rights on the Vihili Romo Asequia, which has basically was not used for since the sixties, maybe. Yeah. They, I'm not sure yeah, when they're not sure how far back. I don't know how far back it hadn't been used, but okay. it was all because, uh, there's a, when they did a bridge, they dropped the Asequia to where they dropped the stream bed to where they couldn't reach into the Asequia. So the the bridge on Salazar. Yes. Yeah. So when that was done, I don't know. I don't even remember when it was done. Yeah. Okay. So, but when that was put in, it it changed the ability of the water to go into the Asequia and then and water the the lands of the people downstream. Yeah. And so, how many how many parciantes are on Vigili Romo? Well, the uh, Taos Land Trust owns. The majority, largest. yeah, and then the town of Taos owns another part, but I believe there is there probably about thirteen uh, parciantes total. Total. Okay. All right. Go ahead. We uh, we on on our series of visitas, one of the main topics uh, everybody had was the lack of youth participation. There is no youth that come out and clean acequias or want to learn about it. Uh, so that was one of the other issues that we came up with the Rio Fernando was, you know, how do we get the youth involved? Uh, as part of the collaborative? Yes, as uh-huh. part of the collaborative. And uh, also there's uh, older people that can't can't uh, irrigate anymore. So uh, one, of, one of the things that we thought was to get like a mentorship to where some of these older generation can teach the younger generation the art of irrigating. Um, we're also at Taos Valley Aseca Association. We're working with the Taos High School to uh, on the work study program. So if there's any youth out there that want to get some work experience, uh, we're looking for some youth to come in. Taos Valley Aseca Association, we've been around so long, and I'm the only one there. So uh, our website's outdated, so we're looking for somebody to come in and help us update the website, Okay. Um, do some social media. For, for so, like, you're looking for, like, an intern 
volunteer type of person. Yeah. Right. So just want to put that out there. Taos Valley Safety Association is looking for an intern or volunteer to come in and help them get their website back up and, and updated. updated and to expand their social media outreach. Yeah, because um, that's how we're going to reach the youth now. You know, is everybody's on social media. So and I don't have time to set up these you know, different things, Facebook or right. Instagram or Snapchat or, you know, even the website, it takes a lot just to... Your day's uh, packed. Yeah. Right. It takes a lot to get it, you know, up and running. But it's something I want to learn how to do so that when I need to update something, I can go in. And the website would be a great place for us to have facts and real information for, for everybody out there. And so as in your role at the Aseki Association, what's, what does your, your normal day look like? <laughs> Or do you have a normal day? I don't have a normal day. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what does it look like? Like, what do you what do you do during the day? On oh well, if I get people to come in, I've been helping uh, parciantes with water transfers, but that's all. It takes a lot of work, and I don't have somebody to help me. You know, um, make copies or. And then we have monthly board meetings. Um, I've been going to Rio Fernando Collaborative meetings. We've been uh, trying to get grants, so a lot of fundraising. And I went to a workshop yesterday on uh, from the Taos Community Foundation, which was wonderful. They gave a lot of great information for us to try to get funding. So we're going to start trying to work with a grant writer to start getting some more funds into Taos Valley Sick Association. And how are you the only person there? Yes. Right now. Wow. Yeah. All right. That is a lot of work. Yeah. And uh, and we've picked up a lot, a lot of more stuff since a couple of years ago when we did the L&E committee and we started doing the visitas, you know, preparing for all of these meetings that we had. We had them every other month. So we had five in 2017 and we had our last one for Rio Hondo this last summer. Okay. But it's a lot of preparation for these meetings, and then we have l and &E committee meetings. This last year, we updated our po our um, policy, our personnel policy, and we're updating our bylaws. Okay. So, and I sit on almost all of those committees. So. Right, right. Uh, and so, that just makes me wonder, how, how did you get into this? How did you end <laughs> up in this position? Um, actually, in late 90s, early 2000s, I started with the Taos Valley Psychic Association, and I worked under the direction of uh, the late uh, Jeff Bryce, which was a wonderful experience because he had a world of knowledge. There was, uh, funding was going down, so I moved on to a title company, and I worked there for a few years, and then uh, in 2009, uh, they asked me if I would come back and help them out with the office, and been there ever since. Okay, and so what's, what, you're from Taos originally. Yes, yeah. I was raised in uh, San Cristobal. Okay, all right. And so, so what's uh, how did how what was the educate? Did you come from from school and go right to the Asaki Association, or was there some? Oh no, I worked at a title company for about uh, twelve years before okay. I came to the Asakis. I've always liked to work with maps, uh, so I, I guess that's what I, was I guess ask. when uh, <laughs> when I went in and uh, and then I've I was raised on an Asakis, so. You know, I knew the culture, I knew, you know, the ins and outs, and so it helped me to get the job, and I just love to do the maps, and so I was in charge of the GIS when I first began. Oh, okay, all right. And did does did you guys do, at the Asakia Association, do a map of the Asakias in the No, valley? we use the hydrographic maps from the state engineer's office. Okay, all right. 
So that that's that must be pretty fun. <laughs> if you're a, a map person like me. Yeah, me, I am a map too. geek. I am too. Yeah, I love maps. Absolutely. This is Jim O'Donnell from the Taos Land Trust, and I'm talking with Judy Torres from the Taos Valley Aseki Association. And so what's, what's coming up for the collaborative over the next year? Oh, we have so many projects coming up. We, we still have some more infrastructure to do with the Asequias. Uh, we want to start having those, uh, the stream commission meetings that I talked about. Mm -hmm. So we want to get together with the commissioners from all of the Asequias on the Rio Fernando and uh, do a, a stream commission. We're on the ball on the Rio Fernando Park which is awesome. Yeah, that and it, we're about to release the master plan, the, the, mas the final master plan for the park from this year-long community-driven process that we've been doing. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys are playing a good a, a role in that. Oh, yeah, and well, we really helped with the uh, Vihili Romo. That's part of our uh, Aseca Rising project. So we helped establish the whole uh, Vihili Romo, hoping that it will be able to use water. Right. Uh, but... I, and we just finished the grant for the ISC, so we're we're getting What's there. What's the ISC? Interstate Stream Commission. All right, <laughs> <laughs> just just you know, for listeners out there, all these terms and everything, we want to yeah. make sure they're clear. And um, we are we are going to start this winter um, in early winter the restoration work along the Rio Fernando, so removing invasive species mm -hmm. and um, helping to get that stream. In, in a much better ecological condition. Yeah, and with that, we did the invasive uh, weeds, and we have now a weed board that we, we began out of the Rio Fernando Collaborative. So it's branching off to all these different directions, which is awesome, you know, and we hope to be a model for maybe other watersheds to do something like this, so... Is the is the Collaborative going to serve as somewhat of a... A, a clearinghouse, I guess, for information. Like you, you talked about the weed, weed expert, invasive weed experts. Can will it will it be possible? I guess eventually for a landowner who's interested in restoring their land to call up and get advice from from the collaborative or to be referred to the right people. Well, for right now, I think the weed board was concentrating on the Rio Fernando, but I believe in in the future it will be where it's more. Um, uh, county-wide where where they're using it okay because there's uh, I guess grants we can get as long when we get a weed board so we had a meeting and they got a weed board together okay so actually having the board makes you then stronger stronger when it comes to applying for yep. for the for money funding, yeah. okay and who who's on that weed board I uh, only attended half of it so I am not sure who they okay. elected because I had to leave before the elections, but oh. I believe uh, Councilman uh, Fritz Hahn is the champion of the the champion of the board. The champion of the weed board. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll get somebody on from the weed board because I think that's uh, the invasive issue that, is pretty it, interesting. It is a very big issue in Taos. Yeah. And um, the land trust was just covered in weeds when we went on our field trip there. Yeah. And it's just amazing that they're going to be able to get it under control. Yeah. The amount of work that happened from the YCC, the Youth Conservation Corps crew this summer was incredible. They not only cleaned out the old Vigili Romo Asequia, but they, um, the amount of invasive weed control that they did was... And that's a great program, the YCC program. Taos Land Trust used it this last summer, and uh, Taos Soil Water Conservation used it a couple of years ago, and my son is actually on that crew, and he just got a world of information, and he, I mean, 
know, he, I'm always talking about Asekas, and he's like, oh. like, whatever, mom. Yeah, but after learning everything he learned on there, he has a better appreciation. I mean, he's always cleaned Asekas. You know, anybody comes in and they're all, do you know somebody that can come in and help? My son's. <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's yeah, the they've been making me do it since I was a kid. <laughs> but he liked, you know, getting extra money, so he loved it. Yeah, yeah. And so is he looking into like a, um, a natural resource type of job in the future? Was it that? Actually, he he's more a hands-on guy, but my daughter is. Yeah. She, she's more into the natural resource. Maybe we'll get, uh, get her on the crew for next summer. Maybe. Yeah, that would be cool. I'm hoping. Yeah. Anything else you want to add as we wrap up, Judy? Just um, everybody get out there and irrigate. Um, if you see your neighbor and he's not um, using his water, he's an inactive parciante, uh, let him know the importance of uh, water rights in the valley. We, If there's a forfeiture or abandonment of the water rights, the state engineer can take them away. We need to get out there and we need to irrigate. It's very, very important, not only for you not losing your water right, but also for getting the water table up. Right, right. Yeah, Taos Valley used to be kind of a sponge. Yeah, and, yeah. and um, a lot of the springs are going dry because people aren't irrigating. Right, and as you mentioned, the well issue. So we'll, yes. we'll have to dive back into the settlement and, and everything at another time. But Yeah, uh, we'll have a series of um, meetings this fall and winter, we're hoping. Okay, and we'll be sure questions. to announce the, those here on this program and on the land trust website and the rio fernando collaborative website yeah they'll, they'll be um specific for a lot of the uh commissioners that are getting a lot of these questions so that they cannot ask the questions that their parciantes are asking we we want the parciantes to be involved In, and informed of and well what's going informed. on yeah this has been jim o'donnell from the taos land trust and i've been here with judy torres from the taos valley Asaki association and thank you for coming in